So for those of you who are guests here today, um, the guy who gave announcements is Pastor Adam. He's the senior pastor here. I'm a church planner in residence, so I preach now and then. If you hate the talk today, come back next week. You can hear the real guy and uh, make, make your determination about whether or not this is your church family or not. Um, we've been going through this series in Hebrews, and today we're going to continue looking at the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and into Hebrews chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the scriptures here, I would love for you to take it out. I'm going to read through it at times, so, and it's, it's worded a little bit strange, so I would love for you to have a copy of it in front of you, uh, either on your phone or you know, a you know, regular Bible in front of you, because I want you to be able to hang with it as I read it. You know, so this, this letter written to the Hebrews was written to Jewish background believers, all right? So people who had come out of Judaism to proclaim Christ as Messiah, And they started following him, and then shortly thereafter, there started being uh, persecution and some suffering that was happening, and it was causing these people to waver in their faith. And the the author of Hebrews is writing to them to encourage them to continue following Jesus. And what we're going to look at today is, is how the writer is encouraging them to be anchored to Jesus, to find their hope in God's promises to Abraham, and then as they're fulfilled in Jesus. Now, anchors, uh, I think in this text, we're probably referring to an anchor on a boat, uh, but I, I was thinking about an anchor story in my life. We, I grew up in a kind of an old farming community, and my buddy owned a farm, and growing up, we'd always go over to his house, and it was like a little boy's dream. I mean, we would ride quads, we'd play with animals, we'd light things on fire, we would build forts, we would climb the barn, we'd do all these awesome things. Well, this one time, my friend said, hey, I'm going to build a zip line. I was like 12, and he was a couple years older than me. And I'm like, okay, this, you know, this is a fine idea. So he builds the, we go up on the barn roof, and it was probably 15, 20 feet in the air. And he connected it from the side of the silo to a lower barn. And, and we get it all rigged up, and he says, do you want to go first? And I'm like, no, I, I don't. You go first. It's your barn. It's your zip line. You go first. And he goes, and about halfway down, the thing broke off, and he, you know, comes crashing down to the ground, and, you know, luckily it wasn't too high, and he fell. But I learned the importance of being anchored to something in that moment, that if you don't do this right, something bad's going to happen. And, and what the author of Hebrews is going after today is encouraging these people to be anchored fully to Jesus, and mainly to the promises of God that are fulfilled through the gospel, and what Jesus did on the cross, and in his life on earth, and his death, and resurrection. So now... This passage today is, is borderline harsh to the believers that he was writing to. And so I'm going to try to skirt the line between exhortation and legalism. So I am erring, hopefully, on the side of gospel truth, on the side of finding our fulfillment in the gospel. If you hear something that sounds like legalism, just wait Okay, until we get to the end of the passage where he really lands on the fullness of the gospel. Um, but if, if I do something that says, hey, that sounds like work, you know, salvation by works, just sit tight. That's not what I'm preaching. That's not what we're here to celebrate today. We're here to celebrate freedom in the gospel. Okay, so we ready? So, being anchored. He starts this, this part of the letter by finishing up talking about Jesus being a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which we'll get to next week. But Melchizedek was this former priest, and it's this, this weird kind of storyline he starts to go into, and he's talking about parts of Jesus' life, and then he kind of ha- he pauses and says, wait a second, I don't know if you guys are ready to hear this. So look what he says. If you look in the end of chapter 5, 
verse 11, after saying all these things about Melchizedek and the, the priesthood, he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. That word slow there later in the text is used, to, it says lazy. He says, maybe you're sluggish to hear, maybe you're dull of hearing. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, this word righteousness here, really, it's not about behavior of right and wrong. What he's talking about is the idea of God's justice and about God making things right through the narrative of Scripture and the gospel. And he's saying, you're not not acquainted with these things, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So this first section, after coming out talking about Jesus and the high, you know, the high priesthood and all these things he's been laying about you know, Jesus as our rest, as our brother, as better than Moses and better than angels, he comes to this point where he's like, I don't know if you guys are able to get this. I don't know if you're mature enough to understand what I'm talking about. And I think one of the things we need to look at here is that there's an expected growth that should be happening in Christ followers. Do you see it? He's saying, you know, some of you are infants, but, but really we're called to be mature, and we're called to be teachers even, so that we can relay gospel truth to the people around us. He says the mature have trained themselves by practice, by encountering things in life and, and by, by training themselves to, to see right and wrong. And they've been building on the elementary things of the faith. I think one of the things he's trying to point out here is that mature Christ followers have, have moved beyond just a basic understanding of, okay, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, I'm going to die and be resurrected someday. He's saying they've moved beyond that to fully understand God's righteousness, to fully understand God's justice and what he's bringing about through the fullness of time, and really to understand the narrative of the gospel, that God is at work in humanity to redeem it and bring it back to himself and to put the world to rights. And he's saying, on the other hand, we have these kind of juvenile Christians who are saying, well, I'm good with just the basics. I'm good with just the elementary things. Now, I think Maybe what's happening here, when he goes on in chapter 6 to say, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings, when he's laying out these things, I think he's saying one of two things. Either they didn't believe the basics yet, and he's saying, can we be done talking about this? Can you please just take on this part of the gospel, and can we move on from here? Because maybe they were still hanging on to their Judaism and they weren't even believing that Jesus came for them. Maybe they weren't even understanding the concept of of sin that they needed saving from. And he's saying, can we we move on from this? Or, I think another another thing that might be happening here is he's saying, can you stop being so proud of this initial part of the gospel that you've inherited and move on to deeper truths? Because maybe they were saying, okay, we're good. We've, we've understood you know, the, the gospel. We're getting baptized. We've got laying on of hands. We're taking part in church. We're good. 
And he's saying, no, 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 there's so much more to life in Jesus than that. So in either case, he's saying you need to move from a place of being an infant who's you know, only going after milk to saying let's pursue solid food, let's pursue, pursue things that are deeper in the faith. He's calling them to a deeper life in Jesus. Either way, in my mind, he's saying it's time to move on from these basic truths into understanding the fullness of the gospel. Because remember, these are people who might be going back to Judaism, and he's saying, no, 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 it's time to move the opposite direction, not backwards, forwards, deeper into life with Jesus. The mature have done this, they understand it, and they're able to pick out what righteousness is. You can do the same thing. And then he moves on. To a, he, in my mind, he makes a hard turn all of a sudden, and it becomes this dire warning about falling away. I think in light of saying, hey, maybe you're still you know, infantile in your faith, you're not moving on, he says, you need to be careful you don't fall away. Because look what he says in verse 4 of chapter 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Do you hear this warning that comes out of nowhere? Like he's been talking to him about how great Jesus is. He's saying, press on. He's saying, go deeper in the gospel. And then there's this hard turn all of a sudden to say, be careful because if you don't go deeper into the gospel, into fully understanding the promises of God and what he has done for you and what he wants to do in your life and in all of humanity, you're at risk of falling away. You're at risk of becoming useless. You're at risk of walking away from the faith. I think part of what's happening there in the beginning is he's warning them, saying, hey, look, in light of all the stuff that you've experienced, which you have, you've experienced, you know, the spirit, you've been enlightened, you've tasted the goodness of the word of God, powers, in light of all of this stuff, you better be careful not to fall away. And he goes on to say, it's because when you do, if you walk away from that, it's like crucifying Jesus all over again. I mean, think about the people who saw Jesus in person, and who willingly looked at him and said, you're not the Messiah. Put him on a cross. Crucify him. And he's saying, when we've tasted all of this goodness of Jesus and we decide we're going to walk away, it's like doing that all over again. Saying, I don't believe it. Put him on a cross. Kill him. I don't want it. And it's a harsh thing that he's rendering here for these people, but he's warning them to go deeper in the gospel and not to fall away. I thought it was interesting in the Verses 7 and 8, where he's talking about land all of a sudden, saying land that has been rained on and produces good fruit is blessed by God. And land that produces thorn and thistles is cursed. This, to me, reminds me of some of the the parables that Jesus preaches, right? Where he says, you're going to know people by their fruit. You're going to see what they produce. And he's saying, you are land that has had the water of the Spirit rained on it. You've tasted this. You've read the word. You've seen the gospel at work. Produce good things. Let the gospel work in you to produce Good fruit. Don't be like land that just produces thorns and thistles and ultimately is burned. Now, I don't 
let's be clear. I don't think what he's saying here is, well, you better produce good things and you go to heaven, and if you don't, you're going to burn in hell. Like that, uh, that's not, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think he's trying to give an exaggerated warning to say, like land, it's either going to be productive or it's not for the gospel. Which one do you want to be? It's a severe warning to not fall away, but to hold on to salvation. So for me, what's the application, right? You're thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to fall back into Judaism, right? Most of you here are probably, you know, don't have a Jewish background. Anything. I'm not going to fall back into, you know, Judaism and, and these religious practices of sacrifices and going to the altar and things like that. But might we fall back into our old worldviews? Might we fall into how we used to be? Might we fall into our, our pre-gospel days of thinking that the world has all of the answers and I need to pursue the things that the world pursues so that I can find fulfillment? Might we fall back into our old religious ways of thinking, okay, I need to perform and perform and perform so that God loves me. There are things that we can continually fall back into if we're not careful to anchor ourselves to Jesus and to the gospel. Now, this is where I want to be careful. I think he is calling Christians and Christ followers to strive and make an effort, and make an effort, but not to not to earn God's love, but to better grasp God's love. Do you see the difference? He's saying you can work towards this to gain a better knowledge of who God is and a better understanding of what the gospel is. And you can go deeper and deeper into that so that it impacts your life. Pastor Adam talks about this all the time. It's grace-motivated obedience. It's seeing what God has done for me and saying, I want more of that. I want to understand him more. I want to understand his love more. And I'm going to dive deeper into knowing him through spiritual disciplines and the like, which is part of why we're pursuing what we are in community groups so that people can go deeper together into their knowledge of the gospel. Not knowledge for their own sake, not knowledge to please, you know, just to earn God's love, but knowledge of the gospel and what they've been given and how it changes them. Peter writes about this. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, in 2 Peter... This is an amazing passage, and, and I used to read this and think, okay, I need to work real hard to please God. And I've come to understand this so much more in light of the gospel. In 2 Peter, Peter is writing again to, dis- to disciples who are being persecuted. And in 2 Peter 1, he says this in verse 3. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God's given us everything he needs, everything we need, he calls us. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you hear what he's saying, church? You've been given promises from God, and you get to participate through the gospel in being Christ-like. And in that, you find the fullness of of life. And Peter says, because of this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So I used to just hear those as these things that, okay, I need to just keep doing these. I need to, I need to work at these. I need to do these. But he's saying it's in light of the gospel that we even have the ability to do these, and it's, it's the full life that Jesus promises. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that image again of being unproductive or ineffective. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, listen to this, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? He's saying, he's saying you can make an effort to understand more of God. You can make an effort to know more of the gospel. And when you do that, these things will be produced in you by the power of the Spirit that give you the full life that Jesus promised. Church, the American church especially is full of self-help and lots of effort that we need to make. We need to make sure we go to men's classes, women's classes, read this book, read this thing, check off this, do this workbook, attend church enough, serve enough, give enough, do all these things. But devoid of the gospel, those things are useless. It's a prideful knowledge. It's empty unless we understand the power of the gospel to us through Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promises. So I'm all for learning. I'm for Christian you know, knowledge and, and memorizing scripture and spiritual disciplines. But it has to be anchored in the gospel, that Jesus has given us the opportunity to participate in the divine nature. Radically different than religion and legalism. All right. We've got to move on. So he goes on from here after he says, don't be immature, don't be infantile, don't be unproductive, don't fall away, and then he softens. What he says in verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, there's that word again, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. He's simply trying to say, look, we know that you have got salvation somewhere inside of you. We know that you've grasped a little bit of the gospel because we see your love for God and we see your love for his people. I find it fascinating that, and Paul says this too, one of the evidences of salvation is your love for the people of the church, is your love for your fellow Christ follower. And this author is saying the same thing. We've seen things that accompany salvation because we've seen how you love the church, how you love fellow Christ followers. So he's trying to encourage them that, yes, you have tasted this, keep moving towards Jesus, not away. Be diligent about this, keep loving the church, and loving others. Paul says something similar in Philippians 2. He says, if you have any knowledge of God, if you have any unity in the Spirit, love one another. Serve one another. It's it's a very basic accompaniment to the gospel, is our serving of others. Then transitioning, he says, you're to imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises of God. So who is he talking about? He's talking about Abraham. He starts to set up for this, these Jewish background believers. If you want to be like someone, be like Abraham. Which is funny to me because Abraham was pre-Jesus. But Paul says in Galatians 3 that Abraham received the gospel. And he trusted God's promises. So he says you need to be like Abraham who through faith and patience inherited 
what was promised. Abraham, if you want to write notes down, you can go back and look at this later. Abraham received the call of God and promises of God in several places in the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22. All these chapters, you see God speaking to Abraham, saying, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to do something through you. I'm calling you to be a nation, a people, after my heart, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Look with me at Galatians 17. I mean, uh, Genesis 17. This is kind of one of the the fullest explanations of, of the promises that God gives Abraham, this man that the author of Hebrews is calling these people to be like. This is important because we're going to come back to this in a couple minutes. So if you have it there and you can look at chapter 17 of Genesis. At this point, Abram has been told to leave his homeland. He's gone to a new place. His wife Sarah is with him. And God has told him already that he's going to do something special in his life. And he further elaborates it here in chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Listen to this. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Do you hear what he's promising him? He's promising him a family. He's promising him a new name a new identity. He's promising that authority of of kings will come through his family line. He's promising land and provision and his presence. This is so important to understand that God is promising provision and presence to Abram. What's interesting here is that God says, now your part of the deal is that you're going to need to be circumcised. I don't like this part of the covenant, but this is what God calls Abram to do and he calls his descendants to do. And all of Israel you know, still follows this practice for this reason, because to be covenant people, the males were to be circumcised. It's important. We'll come back to it in a minute. Um, just you know, keep in your mind as much as you want to. So we see multiple places that, that Scripture says that Abraham was counted righteous. Why? You see multiple places that Abraham was given fulfillment of part of this promise. Why? Because of some good thing that he did? Because he obeyed the law? No, the law didn't even exist yet. Because he waited on God? No. Actually, if you see the chapter before, he slept with his handmaid and tried to get pregnant with her so that he could finally have this line that God had promised him. So he jacks everything up, right? So he's a sinful, broken man who doesn't even know how to fully follow God. Yet, Scripture says over and over again that he believed God. That he knew that God would do this somehow. So maybe he tried to interfere and help him help God out, but he trusted that God would do this. So let the encouragement, uh, church, be today part of this that 
that God loves you and is for you, and despite how much we mess it up, when we simply believe, God still brings his promises true, particularly in Jesus to us. So he didn't receive this, this fulfillment of this promise because of works. He received it because he believed God. That's the gospel. And God blesses Abram with many children who become the, the, the people of Israel. They go on and kings come from them. And ultimately what we see happening is God trying to rebuild what was lost in the garden with Adam and Eve in the person of Abraham and his family and ultimately coming to fruition in Jesus. So this author in Hebrews is saying, if you want to imitate anyone, be like Abram, who didn't give up on what God was doing, who anchored himself to it, who believed it, who waited for God to deliver on his promises. This last section, look back at Hebrews with me. It's all building up to this part. He's saying, don't be immature, hang on to this, don't fall away, imitate Abram, believe when all things look like they're against you. And then he says in this, chapter chapter, uh, 6, verse 16, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. He's talking about how God made this promise and an oath to Abram by swearing on his own name. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Church, there is so much happening in this passage. In this little section right here, I don't know if you catch that, but where he says, because God wanted to make it clear to Abram's heirs, Abraham's heirs, he's talking to us, the church. He's saying God's promises to Abraham are meant to be an encouragement to all of his heirs, of which Paul says, because of the Spirit, we are heirs of Abraham. We are his sons and daughters brought into his spiritual family. Paul calls it a a spiritual circumcision that takes place. Do you see it? This is the fulfillment of the covenant now in a spiritual sense that God made with Abraham all those years before. And he says that God was trying to make it clear. What this says to me is that we should be encouraged by looking at Abraham's life and seeing God's faithfulness. Seeing that God took this man and this barren woman who were 99 years old and gave them children that became the nation of Israel who kings came from and prophets came from, ultimately leading to fulfillment in Jesus. We should be encouraged when we look back at the course of history and see that God has made good on his promises, ultimately finding all of their fullness in Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that that all of God's promises are found to be true in Jesus. Colossians 2, Romans 2, you know, it's, it's, we get to be heirs with Abraham of God's promises. Church, when we come to know Jesus, when we come to accept the gospel and, and, and anchor ourselves to it, we gain what Abraham gained. We gain identity. We're adopted as sons and daughters into 
the family of God. We are given a new name. We are given provision, and we are given God's presence. This is what God promised to Abraham, and he brings to us through Jesus. We can be in the presence of God. This whole chapter is building up to this moment, and he's saying to this church, this group of believers who are thinking about going back to their old ways because of suffering, he's saying, don't give up hope. Put Put your hope in the anchor of the promises of God that have gone in and joined Jesus in the, in the temple, in the inner sanctuary with God. It's this image that Jesus is there in the presence of God and our hopes are anchored to him. Now, I don't know if you know how an anchor on a boat works, but it's important to understand this, I think, for this picture. You know, if, if you have a, you know, any kind of small boat, even big boats use these, the anchor comes off where? The front of the boat, Right? comes off the front, and you drop the anchor into the water, and then you have to back up so that the anchor takes hold. It's like a little claw that digs into the bottom of the seabed. And you back up until it holds taut. And then what happens is the wind will come, and it will push the boat around until the boat is facing directly into the wind. And the anchor holds tight, and the wind can go right around the boat. And the waves will do the same thing. It will turn the boat until the anchor's out in front of you, and the waves will go around the boat. I think this image is perfect to say that Jesus, like the author says, has been our forerunner. He has gone before us into the inner sanctuary with God, fully human, fully man, gone into the presence of God, the first fruits from the dead, resurrected, living in God's presence, and we anchor to him, he's out in front of us. And the winds come and they go around us. The waves come and they go around us. I mean, what are Jesus' promise, right? Build your life on this and the wind and the waves and the rain come and they will crash against you, but they will not topple you because we are anchored to a hope that is permanently in God's presence. This is the gospel. This is what he's calling them to. He's not saying work harder so you can earn this. He's saying work harder so you can understand this more. So you can fully grasp the fullness of God's love for you as an heir of Abraham, bringing you the provision and the presence of God. We don't work to earn that. We work to understand it more. Jesus went first into the presence of God, and we get to go with him. But for now, we we hold on to that promise. Now, something that we go after here all the time like I said earlier, is grace-motivated obedience. And it starts with a decision to believe this about Jesus. To believe this, that all of God's promises have come true in him, that he is for you, that he wants you in his presence, and you can accept this and be united to Jesus and hold on to him. That motivates obedience. So my encouragement would be to you today, if you find yourself striving and working so hard to, to earn God's love, just rest. And see that Jesus has already done it for you, has gone before you, and he's calling you forward. And you can do these things, these spiritual disciplines, the things we're talking about with community group, we do these things to better understand and to not fall away. Church, if you anchor yourself to the promises of God, you'll start to fully understand and comprehend the gospel. You won't be moved. You can't be shaken. I'm I'm thinking about this this girl in Palestine right now. It's easy, for, it's easy for us to sit here and say this in an American church where everything's safe, but this is real life, church, where the world crashes in around us, where we lose, we lose 
privilege, we lose family, we lose reputation because we anchor ourselves to Jesus. But he said, I'm faithful. I will bring you home into new creation. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. Can I just say this? I read scripture, I read scripture so I can find Jesus. And I read scripture and I pray so I can hear from Jesus, so I can hear his promises to me. I don't read it so I can memorize it for my own good. I know Pastor Adam would say the same thing. I know many of our people here would say the same thing. Read scripture and and find Jesus' promises to you. And bank on them. (laughs) Anchor yourself to them. Remember them. You memorize them so that you can encourage yourself in the gospel. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples, knowing that trouble was coming for them. He says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to pre- and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas says, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. What do you mean? And he, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I am going before you into the presence of God, and I'm going to make a place for you there. And I will call you to myself through the gospel. And when you know me, you come to know the Father, which is God's promise all the way back to Abraham. says, I will be your God. You will know me, and I will know you. And then listen to this promise at the end of the chapter. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, from whom, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Do you hear this? He's saying, while you're here on earth, the Spirit will be with you and will recall my promises to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is one of countless promises of Jesus to us as Christ followers in the gospel. That he calls us forward into the presence of God and when we can anchor to that, we will not be shaken. And that his spirit will counsel us in what it looks like to follow him and live life in a fully human, holistic sense in the gospel. Church, I don't know what this looks like for you in your daily life. I know we're all in different places doing different things, but I know what it means to me to anchor to the promises of God is, is things like remembering that Jesus has offered me a full life. So when the world says, I have something better to offer you, I can remember that, no, Jesus said he has offered me a full life. When, when my kids are going nuts and I'm trying super hard to, to control them and to, to make them worship my idol of control, uh, I can remember that, you know what? I'm going to do my best. Ultimately, they're God's problem. They're God's kids, not mine. I'm going to do my best to counsel them in the gospel, and that's all I can do. In vocations, in jobs, in, in marriages, when we rely on the promises of God and we go to them for truth and we anchor ourselves to them, it makes a real difference. But to know those, you need to grow in maturity and continue to dive deeper and deeper into the fullness 
of the gospel. That's what this author's calling us to, is to be anchored to the gospel. Not to hard work, but to grace-motivated obedience.